listening again. I'm uh, grateful for this morning. It's truly a joy um, to be together. It's a joy to have the Coles with us today. Um, it's a blessing for me and I know for all of us this morning. The family has blessed Cornerstone uh, a lot over the years. Justin was a deacon. They both uh, helped to lead worship here. Um, and we miss them dearly. And uh, there is a petition in the lobby. It's a sign to get them to move back. But um, uh, also, as you may have noticed, uh, we got an hour less of sleep last night. Uh, so that's good. It would be sad if that didn't mean that we're going to get an hour more of sunshine uh, today and moving forward. And if you know me at all, uh, that means spring and summer. And I am all good with that. I'm ready, delighted, and, uh, and know it's coming. So that's a joy for me. And so all, all the joy um, this morning, let's get to the text. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. So go, go ahead and turn there. If you remember, uh, Galatians is primarily about who should be counted as part of the kingdom of God. It's not just how to get saved and go to heaven, but who is a part of this kingdom that God has established and set apart for His glory now. The rival teachers who are Jewish have deceived the Galatians who are Gentiles into thinking that they need to follow the Mosaic law to be a part of God's people. Paul's confronting that in this letter, defending himself and his apostleship and the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. And he continues to do that in the text that we look at today. And his main point in the text today is that the Galatians do not need to be circumcised and to observe works of the law in order to belong to the people of God. Because they've clearly received the Holy Spirit. And the reception of the Spirit is the mark that signifies that someone belongs to the people of God. And so if you're able to stand, go ahead and do so and follow along as I read. Galatians chapter 3, first five verses. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is a gift to us. We don't want to neglect it. We don't want to take it for granted, Lord, so help us in this time to do exactly what this text encourages, to be hearers with faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go and have a seat. In verse 1 there, he begins by referring to them as foolish Galatians. What they are believing now is illogical. And Paul is determined to prove that to them. He's saying, 
someone must have cast a spell on you. Who bewitched you? Someone must have. Someone must have cast a spell on you because how could you be fooled like this after learning about the crucifixion of Jesus? Now, the crucifixion and resurrection is at the center of everything for Paul. Just here in Galatians, Galatians 1 verse 4, he says that the crucifixion delivered us from this present evil age. In Galatians 2, 19 and 20, he says that the crucifixion puts the law to death. Galatians 5, 24, he says that the crucifixion and being crucified with Christ means the death of our flesh with its passions and desires. In Galatians 2, 21, he says the cross of Christ justifies. In Galatians 3, 10 through 14, he says that the cross of Christ absorbs our guilt. And in Galatians 2, 19 and 20, he says that the cross puts an end to nationalistic Judaism. The cross is central for Paul. And so he says to these Galatians, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, this is interesting To be certain, the Galatians were not in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. They weren't there watching the crucifixion. That's not what Paul's meaning here. But what Paul's saying is the gospel message, the truth of the one true gospel had been so clearly proclaimed to them that they could see it. It was visible to them. Jesus was proclaimed vividly to these Galatians, and they saw before their eyes Jesus publicly portrayed as crucified. This should have kept their eyes from being bewitched. That's his point. From being blinded by some spell, this false teaching that has come to them. He continues in verse Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So Paul here asks some rhetorical questions to help them see how deceived they have become. And it's funny because Paul starts here in verse 2 by saying, let me ask you only this. And then asks multiple questions. However, the first question is the one he's referring to, and the others follow to make his point. It's like he's saying, this is what I want to know from you. He's pointing back to the time when the Galatians first heard the gospel proclaimed. Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified, and he's asking them back then. Think back when you heard the gospel. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or did you receive the Spirit by hearing with faith? Now, the Judaizers are clearly telling them they need works. And when we talk about works of the law, or maybe your version of the Bible says observing the law there. It means that throughout this letter, it means behavior that conforms to the Mosaic law, behavior that is done in order to express that acceptance before God, while it might have come through Christ, 
is dependent on obeying specific laws of Moses. But Paul's saying here, think about when you received the Spirit. And let's think biblically here, okay? When that happened, it was likely similar to what we read in the book of Acts. There may have been speaking in tongues as a sign of the Spirit coming. There were certainly miracles. We know that from the context here in verse 5, Paul says there were miracles. And Paul's pointing them back to what was probably a charismatic experience. And he's saying, think about that. Think about when you receive the Spirit. How? How did that happen? How did the Spirit come? Was it by obeying works of the law? Did all of that take place in your assembly? Did all of that take place in your heart because you obeyed certain commands from Moses? Absolutely not. Paul said it was, it was from hearing with faith. You heard the word of truth and you believed and you were justified in that very moment and the Holy Spirit filled you and you did absolutely nothing. You had been given, granted ears to hear, and you listened and you believed. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. That's the answer to Paul's question. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed instantly, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard with faith, you received the Spirit. Romans 10, 16 and 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now Paul there is quoting Isaiah. Who has believed our message? So the faith from hearing means what? It means believing. The Galatians didn't keep the law or its requirements. They were Gentiles. They couldn't. They were uncircumcised. That alone was disobedience. They received the Spirit when they heard the gospel and preached to them, and they believed. It's believing, not doing, that is the pathway for the Spirit to come, Paul's saying. Verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This verse is so important. Because still today, people get mixed up here. People will believe and teach that, yes, I, I, I just simply believed and I was justified. I put my trust in the Lord by believing the gospel that Jesus died for my sins, that He was raised, and I was justified but then go on acting and believing as if the remainder of their journey, the remainder of this life requires their help, that God somehow 
kind of winds them up and sends them in a direction and hopes that they hop the right way, but needs their help to get them all the way to heaven somehow. That it's somehow a cooperation with God to bring about sanctification, to bring about becoming more and more like Jesus. And Paul's saying, no way, you still can't do anything. You cannot do enough to make yourself more like Jesus. It's Jesus' words. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is not a team project. This journey with Jesus is not a team project where you all get credit as long as you all put in the work. That's not the gospel. To live in the flesh, as Paul says here, is to live a life that isn't based solely on the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. To live in the flesh is to ignore the work of the Spirit. It is Christ and Christ alone who wins us and takes us to be with Him. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. In Jude 24 and 25, I love this text. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now to Him, not to us. We serve a gracious God who not only loved you and gave Himself for you to get you started, but who loves you and gave Himself for you to save you, to get you all the way to him. He and he alone is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. I can think of times, and I'm sure that you can too, I can think of times in my life when I have stumbled, and I can think of times when I was tempted and didn't stumble. And every single time I didn't stumble, it's because of him. Every time. Foolish Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And Paul's saying, no way. That cannot be done. You can't do it. In verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Again, Paul's pointing to their experience in Christ, saying, remember your suffering. Remember, you suffered for Jesus. After their conversion, the Galatian believers experienced persecution at the hands of others. That's what he's reminding them of. And he's saying, did you suffer those things in vain for no reason? Now, what does he mean here? He's saying something like this, Galatians if you had just converted to Judaism immediately, 
you wouldn't have experienced suffering. You wouldn't have been persecuted for converting to Christ. We know, we know if you suffer as a Christian, it is for something. Peter writes about that in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But Paul's saying, if you suffer as a Christian and then toss it away by converting to Judaism, your suffering, your persecution would be for nothing. He's asking them, did you suffer those things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And then lastly, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, this is Paul's main point here. The powerful work of the Spirit has been evident among the Gentiles. Paul has no doubt about that, and neither should they. But how did the Spirit come to them? God gave the Spirit to them, and the Spirit's presence had been manifested among them by works of power, even miracles. None of that took place because they obeyed Moses' law. None of that took place because they produced some work to impress and manifest the Spirit. No, God did that, all by His grace and all by His mercy. That's the grace of the gospel, the grace that these Galatians, and even Peter, are forgetting. The grace they're neglecting. Their conduct, Paul is saying, is not in step with the one true gospel. And that's a warning for us as well. How would we as a body answer these questions Paul has given to the Galatians? His hope is that their answer will shock them back into the truth, into living according to the truth. But how about for us as followers of Jesus? We need to rehearse the gospel every single day. One of the reasons we partake in the Lord's Supper each week is to rehearse the gospel, to rehearse the gospel. But once a week is not enough. We're all prone to being bewitched. We're all prone to being deceived. All of us. So just think honestly for a moment about what's taking place in Galatians. Just think for a moment. These Galatians are Gentiles, right? The rival teachers are convincing them of what? That even though they have trusted in Christ, even though they have seen the work of the Spirit mightily among them, even though they have heard the gospel and know the truth about Christ's death and resurrection, they're being told that they have to be circumcised. Grown men. 
are being told that. And they're buying it. They're believing it. And so, just be honest. If these grown men can be talked into after hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you got to be circumcised. Come into my room here. And they're like, okay. If they can be convinced of that as grown men, you and I are not that strong that we're not going to be, de be deceived by something if we are not people who are rehearsing the truth of the one true gospel day in and day out and day in and day out. We're not. We are not better than the Galatians. We're not stronger than the Galatians. The same spirit that brought you to faith is needed to bring you to completion. We need to rehearse the gospel every day. The mark of the Christian community today continues to be the presence of the Spirit. And only those who have received the Spirit truly belong to Christ. In fact, Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 8 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And that evidence of the Spirit's presence is multifaceted. We're going to look at this more deeply when we get to the end of chapter 5. But it tells us there the fruit of the Spirit that is displayed within the body. What does the fruit or what does the Spirit produce? What does it do? What does it make in a body of people who love Jesus? What's the evidence within a body that the Spirit is there and the tree is good? That the Spirit is living within a body and within a person. And Paul tells us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As a body and as individuals, is that what is seen in us and through us? Or are we striving to be perfected in our own strength? It wasn't long ago in one of our elder meetings, Andy pointed this out in our core values. In our value of gospel mission, we use the expression extraordinary love. That value says this, because we believe the gospel is good news for all people, we are committed to supporting and sending missionaries around the globe. We do this so that unengaged people groups may get the opportunity to hear of the hope that we have in Christ and to experience the love of His people firsthand. Locally, we will seek to have a reputation of extraordinary love, with the goal of inviting others to taste and see that the Lord is good. We do this by actively pursuing relationships with those that don't yet personally know Christ, believing that God uses the members of His church as a means by which He awakens people 
to the gospel. A reputation of extraordinary love. Spirit-empowered love. Where does that come from? Where does extraordinary love come from? It comes only from the Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And so again, having begun by the Spirit, cornerstone, are we now trying to be perfected in the flesh? Our prayer is that we would be a body who continues to walk in the truth of the gospel, surrendering to Christ and His Spirit daily and walking in newness of life. I'm going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper. We're blessed, blessed to rehearse the gospel together week in and week out this way. It's a gift to us that Jesus granted to us. One of the songs that we sing, we're going to sing it as we come and get the bread and get the cup and take it back to our seats. As we prepare to take it together. But one of the songs that we sing, it says this, Christ is our hope in life and death. Our hope for living right now in a way that glorifies Him and Him alone is still Christ. And our hope of dying and standing before Him clean and holy, forgiven, is Christ. It is always and only Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and we love You and we need You. We need Your grace and we need Your peace. We ask that You help us, Lord. We want to be people who are hearing with faith and who are walking in newness of life, who are not depending on ourselves as if we could contribute anything to the work that you have accomplished in Jesus. We want to be people who trust in you and truly believe the truth of the gospel. That there is one way and it is Christ and Christ alone. And we can do nothing apart from you, Jesus. So help us, we pray. Help us as we come and we receive the bread and the cup and we take it back to our seats and as we prepare our hearts, as we sing together, partake of it together, Lord, help us. Help us to believe. Help us to remember your body was broken and your blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.